Praise the Lord and good morning. Good morning. It's lovely to see all of you this morning. Uh, we are a reduced crowd, but praise the Lord, his power never changes. Even if we are one, um, we are still operating and living under the power of our almighty God. So uh, thank you to the worship team. We had a very fantastic time of worship. I really enjoyed it. Um, are very inspiring. And thank you for the testimony. Thank you, Jimmy, for um, your testimony. Very powerful. And just showing that God still works amongst us. Amen? Okay, so let's start with prayer, I think, even as we go into the Word. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts. that we may see you. It is especially important that we see you during this time when we remember you're coming into this world as a child, living in this world amongst us as Emmanuel, transforming lives and changing the destiny of mankind. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may see you in a new way. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen and amen. So we have been looking at the songs of Christmas. That's been our theme for the last two, three weeks. Uh, the songs, we call it the songs surrounding Christmas or the songs of Christmas. And although we call them songs, they are not really songs. The way you think of a song with a guitar and, you know, somebody singing, it's... That's not the way they really were intended. These were more like outpouring of praise and thanksgiving and prophecies and revelations about God and about the Lord Jesus Christ around the time when he came into the world, when Jesus came into the world. So we call them songs of Christmas um, because traditionally that's how people think of them, but they are more about, you know, um, revelations about God, thanksgiving and praise about God. Now, it's interesting that in each of these songs, those who've been with us in these last few weeks um, as we've studied these songs, it's interesting that they come from very ordinary people, very ordinary people. Um, these are ordinary people going about their lives, doing very ordinary things. I mean, if you take, for example, the very first one that we studied was um, Simon. Simon uh, lived in Jerusalem, and he was described as a righteous and devout man. Devout means really dedicated and committed to spiritual things. And he was led by the Holy Spirit to meet Jesus and his parents in the temple. And it was a very significant event. It led to Simon's song of blessing, a powerful song uh, that he made. Then there was Zachariah. Zachariah was just an ordinary priest. He was uh, going about the traditions of priests, um, what they normally do. They burn incense and so on. And then under the power of the Holy Spirit, he prophesied about his son, his own son, John the Baptist, as well as about Jesus, uh, the Messiah. Now, if you'd like to, you can always go back to these songs. Uh, they are, we normally record our sermons, so you can go back and listen to them. Contain very powerful lessons. Um, when I think about what we've studied in the last few days, I just think about the fact that, you know, all these people, although they were very ordinary, they were consistently and continuously devoted to God. That was one characteristic that defined all of them. 
They were consistently and continuously devoted to God. Plus, they were led and inspired by the Holy Spirit. Very important. They were led and inspired by the Holy Spirit. Just ordinary men, men and women um, that, you know, were just going about their duties and the Lord, in a sense, came and, you know, um, through his message, was able to actually reveal himself. And they spoke words of praise and thanksgiving. Um, and words that testify about God. So these songs remind me that God is no respecter of persons. He can and he does work very powerfully amongst ordinary men and women. You don't really need to be, to have many letters after your name to qualify for God's, um, to be a vessel for God. He can use an ordinary man and woman. And under the Holy Spirit, you and I can be powerful vessels for, to glorify God. So today we're going to look at one more song. And this song is from a very famous character in the Bible. And this person was present both at the birth as well as the death of Jesus Christ. Who is that? The one person that was the only person that was there who was there at the birth as well as the death of Jesus Christ. Mary, Mary. exactly, Mary, that's wonderful. Um, I'm not giving out gifts. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You know, when you preach after Alistair, it's very tricky because he set the scene and, you know, everyone is like, yes, now I'm ready with my answers. But, um, but just be blessed by the fact that you've answered that correctly. Okay, so Mary. So his grace is sufficient. Thank you. So Mary is, um, is uh, the person we're going to look at closely today and study her declaration or her song. She's actually a very controversial figure in history, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. There are many denominations today that believe things about her that are really not true. They're really not true. For example, they say, um, some, people, some denominations believe that she is without sin, that she's immaculate. You know, you've, I, some of you may have heard that saying, immaculate. Um, there are other people who believe that she's a mediator and an intercessor, so you pray to her in order to access God. And these statements are really not true. Um, if you're seated here and that's, you know, your thinking, uh, you need to examine the Bible closely because these statements are not found anywhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that Mary is without sin and nowhere does it say that she's a mediator between God and man. The Bible is very clear. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. All means all. Whether it's in Greek, in Hebrew, in Latin, all means all have sinned. It also says there is one mediator one mediator, one in Greek, Hebrew, Latin, means one. One mediator between God and man, and is, that is the man, Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's just to clarify some truths. Mary is not equal to God. She's not a substitute for Jesus Christ. Okay, she's not an alternative for Jesus Christ. So let's get that clear. She was an ordinary human being, but she was chosen by God for an extraordinary extraordinary task. And so we don't ignore her. We, we honor her. We honor her um, because of her willing response. She responded beautifully to the word of the Lord. We honor her and we, we declare her blessed. She is blessed amongst women. She is indeed blessed. So this Christmas Eve, we're going to study her proclamation. There are things she said that are very, very profound, very deep, and very, very powerful that we need to, to take a close look at. So let's go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. 
Um, and we are going to start from verse 28 to get a bit of background into her life. Luke chapter 1, verse 28. Okay, so um, this is where the angel Gabriel appears to this young Jewish girl. And at the time, she's betrothed to a man named Joseph. Okay, so verse 28, uh, we are going to read together. Um, and we'll sort of read and pause and just think about these verses. Luke chapter 1, verse 28. And he, Gabriel, came to her, that is to Mary, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern. She was troubled at this greeting, at this saying. And she tried to discern. She, she wondered what sort of greeting might this be. And verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. So the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and emphasized to this young Jewish girl that she was highly favored, highly favored. Now, for those of us who are living now in the now moment, and looking back into history, this might kind of seem obvious. She was favored and she gave birth to Jesus. Um, you, you might see it as something obvious. Uh, but at that time, to Mary, it didn't make sense. It troubled her. You know, it's, this is what the verse says. It troubled her. And she tried to understand. Why did she try to understand? Because at that time, there were several things happening in Israel that did, really didn't show that Israel was under favor. Israel at the time was still under the old covenant. The old covenant was not a covenant of grace necessarily. Okay, it was not a covenant of favor. Secondly, Israel was under Roman occupation. Things were not going very well. The last prophet, if you just look back into history, the last prophet to speak over Israel in the Old Testament was a prophet named... Last prophet to speak... Malachi, thank you, Malachi. If you just turn to the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi. And he, together with the prophets before him, like Isaiah, like all the other prophets that were there before him, they prophesied that Israel would suffer terribly unless they turned away from continuous rebellion from God and turned towards God. Okay? So this was the dominant prophecy throughout these prophets you see in the Old Testament. Well, they didn't turn away. And the result is they suffered and suffered and suffered. So between Malachi and Mary, there's almost 400 years of silence from God. He did not send another messenger after Malachi until now. So this messenger, Gabriel, is sent to Mary, who is now living under Roman occupation. There's been like 400 years of utter quiet. Mary is living under Roman occupation, which was not a friendly occupation. The Roman Empire was not a friendly occupation. So first of all, politically, you know, they, they lived with this system where Caesar, you know, the emperor, was like God. Okay, so already that contradicted with the Jewish system. Whatever Caesar said was law. Then, not just politically, but even economically, the, the Roman regime was very, very, you know, they would tax their subjects very heavily. And they would take all this money and use it to drive their military campaigns and to really establish their domination over the people that they had conquered. So economically, they were really, really dominant. 
they introduced social and cultural norms that really were not part of the Jewish system. And they did this to their advantage, not to the people that they conquered. It's not to their advantage, but rather to the Roman um, empire's, emperor's ad advantage. So um, even though they allowed the Jews to practice their, you know, their faith, one thing they did not tolerate is this talk about kings and coming messiahs and coming kings. They didn't really tolerate that. You can practice whatever you want to say, but don't talk about kings. There's only one king, there's only one God, and that's how they thought. So if you rebelled against them, basically you were crushed. It's not a very friendly environment to live in. Now, one thing that we need to note of, although we say in these 400 years God had been silent, there is still one thing that the Jews had that was very, very unique to them. They had the promises of God. Okay, in the writings of the prophets. Remember all these prophets that had passed by, um, the Isaiahs, the Jeremiahs, and so on, their writings were there. So even though they had been silenced in these 400 years, these writings that the prophets had mentioned had be, were being passed down from generation to generation, and they contained a very unique promise that there was a Messiah who was coming, and he was coming to set people free, to set the Israelites free. So these guys had been waiting for 400 years, 400 years for a Messiah to come and set people free and fulfill the promises that had been said by the prophets. Imagine waiting for 400 years for a promise to be manifested. 400 years. I don't know how long you've been waiting for a promise uh, that God has spoken of your life. 10, 20, 30 years, five days for some people. <laughs> God has spoken something, and you're thinking, when, God, when? These guys, it was 400 years. It's most likely that some of the Jews had really stopped believing. It's most likely. There must have been people who made fun of them. They're like, you know, where is your Messiah? You're waiting for a Messiah to come. 400 years, nobody's appeared. What are you waiting for? People must have made fun of them. 400 years. So this is the background that happens, that is happening when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. So she's sitting there and she's thinking, what manner of greeting is this? And the angel tells us specifically, you are highly favored, highly favored. Perhaps you're here and you're in the same situation. You're wondering, where is the favor of God? And as a believer, you need to know that you are highly favored. You really are. Hopefully you believe it. And the reason that you need to believe it is because the word of the Lord says so. It's really not about your circumstances. It's the word of the Lord that says so, that you are highly favored. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 to 9 says that he has lavished the riches of his grace upon you. Speaking of a believer, he has lavished. You know, lavish is not being stingy. You know, if, if you go to some, somewhere and they're serving you something and they're trying to make sure that there's enough food to cover everyone, they, they try and limit, okay? So, so that is not lavishing. Lavishing is really an outpouring. Yes, <laughs> so there's, you know, you, more than enough. Exactly. So he has lavished his, the riches of his grace upon you. John 1.16 says, out of his fullness you have received grace upon grace. So there's one layer of grace, then there's another layer of grace, then there's another layer of grace, there's another layer of grace. So it's grace upon grace. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 2 says, grace is multiplied towards you. 
grace is multiplied towards you even as you grow in your knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these are the words that come from the Lord, the promises of God over your life that speak into you even as the angel spoke to Mary. You are also in the same situation. You are highly blessed. But your circumstances like Mary's may not necessarily show it. And so you may be sitting and wondering, is it really true that I'm highly favored? Well, it is. God's word is true. And when you choose to believe it, you will experience his blessings. Amen? So this is what, just fast forward, this is what um, Mary rushes to see Elizabeth, and this is what Elizabeth speaks over Mary. You know, Mary spoke a word of ble- uh, Elizabeth spoke a word of blessing over Mary, verse 45. So Elizabeth is Mary's relative. Um, after the message and some time passed, Mary rushes to see Elizabeth, and Elizabeth speaks this, verse 45. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is she who who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. In simple, modern-day English, you are blessed when you believe what God says about you. It's powerful. Now, some people think that they are blessed only when they see the evidence of the blessing. This is a mistake we sometimes make. When you see the job promotion, you're like, man, I'm blessed. When you see the healing manifest, man, I'm blessed. When you see the wedding take place, man, we are blessed. You see the debts being paid, man, we are blessed. But this verse is telling us different. Blessed woman who believed what God had said. Okay? Blessed is she who has believed what has what has. What, that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You are blessed when you believe what God says about you and about your situation. Jesus said the very same thing to Thomas, by the way. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they believe. They believe. They have not seen, but yet they believe. So that's a message of hope during this season. The reality is that it's easy to believe something when you see it, when this healing happens, when the job happens, you know, when all these things I've listed happen, it's, it's easy to believe. But it takes faith, it takes great faith to believe something that is spoken of you that you haven't seen yet. And God is pleased with this kind of faith. And it is with this in mind that now Mary really pours out her praise, her thanksgiving and her revelations about God. And this is where Mary's song of praise begins. From verse 46, And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. How do you magnify the Lord? What does it mean to magnify the Lord? Well, the reality is you can't make God bigger than he is. You know, you don't exactly go and try and tool him and make him bigger than he is. He is already God Almighty. He's omnipresent, omniscient. He's all these things that the word says about him. So you can't really change and, 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 and physically, you know, try and magnify him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The problem, however, is sometimes the major issues that happen in our lives seem to make God smaller and smaller and smaller than he is. So we forget how powerful he is. A sickness in the family can really just distort your view of God. A crisis at work can distort your view of God. 
Betrayal of close friends can distort your view of God. Well, if Mary, a young Jewish girl living under this terrible Roman regime, could choose to magnify the Lord, so can you and so can I. It's really a matter of focus. What do you choose to focus on? Because whatever you focus on will, magnif will be magnified in your sight. You know, I have a brother who has taken up a hobby of looking at stars using a telescope. He got a telescope, and every once in a while, he goes out there, looks at the planets, the stars, and so on. And um, he's a believer, so he really enjoys this and sees this a wonderful expression of God's, God's creation. But he says something one time. He says, it's really amazing. When you, go, when you look through a telescope at the stars and the planets, they look very, very big. But actually, they don't necessarily become bigger because you've looked at them in the telescope. It's just that you have focused on them. In the normal day-to-day -day things, you know, day-to-day -day living, when you go about, you look in the sky, you see the stars, and you're like, okay, that's a star, it's very distant. But, you know, when you started sharing some of the statistics about these stars and planets and how big they were, the focus made it, you know, really real. It's like, these things are really, really big. Big, some places actually bigger than the Earth itself, and yet they seem so, so small. And so for us, sometimes that's what happens with God. We lose focus because we are so focused on these things that are happening. But the Lord, uh, but Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is something practical that we can, we can apply in our lives every day. My soul needs to continuously magnify the Lord. What are practical ways to magnify the Lord? Well, the word of the Lord actually tells us there's some practical ways. Um, Psalm 69 verse 30 shows us one of the major ways to magnify God. It's by giving thanks to him, by having a thankful heart. That's in Psalm 69 verse 30. This is what it says. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. And notice it says, I will. There is a deliberate choice that you have to make to magnify the Lord, because everything is going to pressurize and press you to move your focus away. But I need to make that decision every day. I will magnify the Lord with song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Another way to magnify the Lord is by speaking in tongues. When it is done in faith, it is a very, very powerful way to magnify God. In Acts chapter 10, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles for the first time, this was with Cornelius, um, it says they began to speak in tongues and to magnify God. It's a gift that's available to every believer if you're willing to receive it, but it's a powerful gift to magnify the Lord in your situation, in your circumstances. You can also magnify the Lord by coming together in gathering of believers like this one, when we worship together, when we praise him, when we listen and study his word, when we pray for one another, we testify to his goodness, like we have this powerful testimony, we magnify the Lord. I go away thinking if God could do that in Jimmy's life, he can do that in my life, he can do that in my nephew's life, he can do that in anyone's life. My soul magnifies the Lord. Mary then continues in verse 47, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Have you noticed that Mary calls God her Savior? And that tells us two things. First of all, that Mary needs saving, and that God is her Savior. And like I said earlier, um, some denominations believe that Mary had no sin. 
that she was sinless. But the obvious question is, if she was sinless, why does she need a savior? Okay? So my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, acknowledging that God is indeed the source of our salvation. In the rest of the verses, Mary magnifies God by revealing truths about God, about how God chooses his people, how he works in his people, and how he elevates or promotes his people. So it's good to really pay attention to the words she speaks. Verse 48, it says, He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation to generation. So God chooses humble people to work with. He himself is very humble and very meek. I was thinking about this the other day. The circumstances under which God decided to come and be with us. To live in this world as man. Um, it's not the typical circumstances you'd expect a king or a creator of this universe to be. For example, he chose to be born in this world by a young, unknown maid. He could have chosen a very well-connected and very powerful family, but he chose a young, unknown maid. It was a young girl, Mary, from an unknown village. This village was really unknown, Nazareth. In fact, according to Nathaniel, one of Jesus' disciples, he was like, eh, that, that village, can anything good come out of that village? Can imagine. I don't know if anybody's spoken the same about your village, but that's exactly what they spoke about Jesus' village. Can anything good come out of that village? It was looked down upon even amongst the Jews. And then there was the actual birth of Jesus, born in a manger, not in a sanitary palace. Born in Bethlehem, a very crowded and chaotic town at that time. Eh? There was a census going on. Everybody had to go and register. And so there was a lot of chaos going on. Rooms were full and so on. So it was really chaotic. Why didn't God choose Jerusalem, powerful city, or Rome, hmm? the heart of the Roman Empire? And then there was the angels who announced his birth. You know, these angels, by the way, announced it to a group of shepherds. They didn't go to the major cities and make a major announcement to all the major populations. It was a group of, of shepherds. And when they finished, they left. Okay? And then there was the people to worship the king, the first people who reverently came and really worshipped the king. It's the wise men from the east, not the Jewish religious leaders. Amazing. God will often demonstrate his greatest work through humble people, through the, what we call the list of the list, people you really don't expect. You know, the other day, um, uh, Winsor and April, April's daughter, the, the young daughter who came and, and gave a scripture, Kyle. 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 Okay, so she gave a scripture um, from Philippians. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I remember that scripture really, it was a revelation to me. I mean, I've read it, of course, I know it, I've read it. But I remember it was a revelation to me in the course of that week because I was going through something. I was, you know, we were going through some analysis of some issues and so on, and I was really struggling to understand how can God bring us through. 
And then I remembered what she said. This young girl who, you know, she was even struggling to hold the microphone. But that scripture that she mentioned came to my mind and spoke to me through these issues that I was dealing with. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it gave me, you know, strength to really say, yes, things are possible. Things can change. Things can be, um, th we can work things out with God. So sometimes it's the least, the most unexpected people that become the avenue through which God actually delivers you, ministers to you, and heals you even. Humility is a very, very powerful attractant to God. What is humility anyway? It's the opposite of pride and self-centeredness. Humility is about putting God and other people ahead of your own selfish interests. You know, it's very hard for the average person to be humble. Very hard. It's hard for the average person to prioritize God and to prioritize other people. From the time that we are little babies, life revolves around us. If you observe little babies, they're very cute, but really life revolves around them. To the time they become children and grown-ups, and even as grown-ups sometimes, we forget there is, we are not the center of the universe, really. So it takes the Holy Spirit to really change us and make us humble. It's why humility is called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You can't just be a humble person of your, on your own. A humble person is someone who says, let it be done according to your word. And really, anybody can make that statement, let it be done according to your word. But to practically put it into your life requires humility because you have to go and look for the word. The word is near you, yes, but you have to aggressively seek after it when you say, let it be done according to your word. And then you have to let it be established. It's not your decisions, your will, it is God's word. So when we are humble, we attract godly rewards and results. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 4 says, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. Humility attracts us. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord, not fear that you're afraid of God, but fear that but you're reverence, reverencing God, you're reverencing the things of God. When you are humble, when you reverence the Lord, you will attract riches, honor, and life. God will promote those who are humble, who live in the reverential fear of him. Those who are proud, on the other hand, will not succeed on the long run. It may seem they succeed in the short run, but they don't succeed in the long run. And, this, and they're instead demoted. So this is the proclamation that Mary makes. Uh, in verse 51, it says, He has shown strength with his arm. So the Lord is a source of our strength. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And that means those who are proud in their hearts, you know, you know, you know sometimes you don't really need to show that you're proud. It's your heart that reveals. So Mary is saying this. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God can see the thoughts of your heart. So let's examine yourself, ourselves. What are those thoughts that show that really we are moving around being the center of the universe? We need to let go of those thoughts. Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. When you are humble, you are qualified for promotion in the kingdom of God. Jesus said it this way, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled 
and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Then verse 53, Mary goes on to testify about the goodness of God. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. In other words, the goodness of God is available to everyone and anyone who is hungry. Okay? Actually, it's available to everyone, but you have to be hungry to receive and benefit from it. If you're rich, then you'll be sent away empty. You know, the next time that you're in a restaurant or maybe a dining hall or a place of eating, take a close look at people around you. It's very easy to identify people who are really, really hungry. <laughs> okay? Because they, they, they are very focused on the food. They eat and continuously eat, and they eat aggressively. But those who are not hungry, they are really in a different situation. They're busy doing other things. Their focus is elsewhere. They are talking with each other or clicking on their phones or their laptops. And even when the food is available there, you know, they'll pick one thing, chew, and then continue with that clicking, go back to the phone, the laptop. So you'll see somebody like that is really not hungry. How hungry are you? How hungry am I for the things of God? How aggressively do I seek after God? God will satisfy those who are hungry and thirsty for his righteousness. They are blessed and will be filled with good things. Those who are not hungry will miss out. So hunger and thirst for righteousness. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So in this last verse of Mary's song, she reveals two very important things about God, that he is our helper and he is faithful. He is our helper. He has helped his servant and he has, come, he has brought to pass the promises that he gave to, his, uh, to our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God extends his help towards us, not because we deserve it. You know, there is no, you can't go to God and say, I qualify for help because I've done A, B, C, D. It's really not because we deserve it, but it's because he is merciful and kind. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. It's part of God's nature. And I want you to remember this and to really internalize this the next time you go to God for help. It's his nature to help. He loves you. He's a merciful God, so he helps as part of his nature. God is also faithful. The promises that he made 400 years and beyond, those promises came to pass in the lives of these forefathers as well as in this now generation. He has filled, he's fulfilled his greatest promise to us in the person of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. And so, as I end my message, I want us to remember this Christmas as we celebrate, as we do the celebrations. Remember Mary's song, a revelation of so much about God. 
but especially the fact that he is a God who is a helper as well as a faithful God. Emmanuel means he is with us, not he was with us, as was said earlier. <laughs> it's not he's going to be with us, but that he came into this world to be with us. He is with us right now in this moment. And whatever you're going through, he is with you because that's who he is, Emmanuel. Amen and amen. Okay, so um, I have said many things and I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit will continue to really just break these bits and pieces into your, your heart and, 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 and enable you to digest them even as we go forward into the next few days of celebration. My prayer is really that we continue in the things of God and not get distracted, not minimize God, but really magnify him. Let's pray. So if any part of this message has touched you, um, and maybe you'd like to talk to someone, about it. We are here with you and we are here for you so we can pray individually and personally into your lives. But I just want to, us to pray over this season, over this time, with thanksgiving, first of all. Father, we are so thankful that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, this is enough, that no matter what I go through, I know that you are with me. And your promise is that you will never leave me, you will never forsake me. Father, I thank you for the revelations through Mary's song. Thank you that you have spoken into our lives through these revelations. Thank you that you have reminded us of who you are, how you work, and how you are faithful. And I pray that even as we leave this place and we continue to just celebrate the fact that you came into this world in humble estate, Lord, that our character, our very nature, will be changed by you. We submit ourselves to you, that you may do a work in us, just as you did through the, um, through the people that turned to you and walked with you. I pray a blessing over everyone here that even as they um, celebrate Christmas, Lord, that your protection, your power, your love, your blessing, and your goodness will be over them. Protect them from the enemy. Protect them then against anything, any weaponry that is formed against them. That indeed, Lord, we live to give praise and honor and glory to you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Okay, so on behalf of the leadership, um, I want to wish everybody a lovely Christmas, a blessed Christmas. Um, if you're away during the new year, we wish you a, a prosperous new year. Um, and we are, of course, one in spirit. Let us continue to pray for one another. And most important, let us be alive to the presence of the Lord, Emmanuel. Amen. Amen.